Uh, Lord, thank you so much for these good folks and uh, the high honor of being able to share with them this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, nobody came today to hear from a person. We all desire to hear from you. And so um, we just want to prepare our hearts for that and ask that you would speak to us in a way that only you can speak to us. And uh, when we leave this place, whether we're far from you or close to you, whether we consider ourselves to be a believer or non-believer, wherever we, however we classify ourselves, um, I pray that we'd walk, walk off this campus or drive off this campus just with a little clear understanding of what it would mean to be like you and, uh, and, and that you provide the strength to make that happen. So, so hide me deep in your cross. Allow us to hear from you, I pray, in the next few moments. In your name, amen. Well, uh, last week uh, started this series, and we kind of started with some questions. Um, and there are honestly some questions that you could probably run through a small group, or um, and you could probably run a small group for a long time. Or if you're in my business, you could like do a series on these questions uh, for a long time. And the three questions I asked were basically this. What does Jesus say needs to be done in my life? Well, that we could probably just kind of have a long conversation about. Or what, what does Jesus say needs to change in my life? Or what does Jesus say I need to do better? Now, probably if we took a few moments, you could turn to your neighbor and you could answer some of these questions. Fair? Like you could say, yeah, kind of just kind of what I would say, you know, that I, I could work on or change or that kind of thing. So, so here's where I discovered about my life, and maybe this is relevant to you, I don't really know, um, is that these questions are kind of there, but there's actually a bigger question that has to be answered before these questions get answered. And the bigger question for me isn't, isn't related to these. The bigger question is, do I want to? <laughs> In fact, some of us have what Dallas Willard calls, we got a broken wanter. <laughs> and, and I think that fits a good many of us. It's not that we don't know there's some things we could work on or change or, or do, do, do a little better. Um, the question is, we don't... <laughs> I don't think I really want to. <laughs> I don't really want to do some of that, uh, some of those things. And so what we've been thinking about is, what can we do to sort of fix the wanter? <laughs> and, and one of the ways that we could fix the wanter is to begin to get clarity on what this whole Jesus business really is, what it's all about. And this morning, I want to go after that. So last week, I shared like three foundational ideas for this series. And today, I want to remind you with two of them, and then we'll pick up the third one later on in the series. So, so here's the first one I said. Uh, God's greatest goal in our lives is to form us into the kind of people who he can trust with whatever it is that we want. Now, now that, that's a challenging statement. I mean, if you hear that, and you remember we talked last week about, well, as a kid, I was thinking, well, I could move mountains, you know, because what Jesus said was, um, if you have the faith of mustard seed, you'll be able to move mountains. And then he say, later he says, nothing will be impossible for you. And man, you hear that and your mind gets blown. You think, my gracious, what would that what would that mean? You know, if I could do whatever I wanted to do. And so we start thinking that way, but then you got to remember the second part, the second big statement was this, as our character is formed into the same character as Jesus, Jesus will want to leave here and be a little bit more like you. Our wanter will begin to want the same things Jesus wants. And now it's starting to make a little sense of what the goal is and what God's trying to do. God's trying to kind of create in us the same things he wants. And so we mentioned the two things that sort of center on the words right now. And, and, and this is what Jesus wants. You and I are actually part of God's kingdom right now. We're invited to be part of that right now. That's one of the things Jesus wants. So it's not like we die and then we're part of his kingdom. But the moment we start to say, hey, I'm engaging with you, I believe in you, well, we're part of God's kingdom now in our everyday, ordinary lives. 
how we parent, how we do marriage, how we do single life, how we do relationships. All these things are how we view ourselves, all part of what God's kingdom right now. And so what we have in the world is we have people that understand that and people that don't. But it goes beyond that. Our eternal life moments and movements start right now. They start right now. And this kind of has been a bad teaching, I think, over the years in that we think eternal life sort of begins after our funeral. So like when we, if we live right and then we die, good, then, then we get like wings and our own cloud in a harp or something like that. You know, it's going to be awesome. It sounds like the other place to me. But anyway, it's like, wouldn't that be amazing? That's not what eternal life is in Scripture. There, well, there's, not even, there's not even confusion over this issue, you know, what eternal life in Scripture is. This. Jesus is praying for us in John 17, and his prayer says this. This is eternal life, colon. The colon wasn't there, but, you know, that's what he says. And then this is what he says. That they, he's praying for us. That the good folks in the alive community may know God. That's eternal life. That's amazing to me. That's when eternal life begins. It doesn't just happen when I die. What that means is on my daily routine, when I'm doing my daily things, I'm part of engaging in eternal life because I'm knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent So in other words, eternal life isn't about avoiding hell. How dark and dreary is that? That's not what eternal life is. It's never what it was designed to be. Eternal life is more than what happens after a funeral. Eternal life begins the moment we we know God through his son Jesus. So let me just clarify everything I'm saying so far I don't know what you thought was going on in your life today, but according to what Scripture says, that when we got up today and started sucking air and drinking coffee, we started engaging in God's kingdom and eternal life. Boom. That was going to be a bigger moment in my mind, but anyway, that's kind of what happened. We did. You did that. You say, Tom, that's not my reality. It may not feel like your reality, but it is what Scripture teaches. That we're engaged in those things. So as a church, our desire is to be this place where people can constantly bump into Jesus and begin their work in the kingdom of God and their eternal life now. That's what we do. And that's what we want to see happen, if you'll allow me, not just for you people, but for our entire community. If you don't believe, honestly, that's what I love to see happen for your life. Just because I think that's what brings the chewy chocolate center to life. It's what brings the meaning to life. I'm not just engaged in some nine-to-five deal. I'm not just engaged in a relationship that society calls marriage. Or I'm not just engaged in raising kids. I'm not just going through this nine-to-five business. I'm living my eternal life. And I'm part of God's kingdom now. Right now. And so as a church, we're trying to create this place where it is safe for people far from God or close to God to bump into Jesus and discover what that means and form an identity in Christ, the giver of eternal life. And that's what we love to see happen in you, your children, even people you don't like. And the question we kind of ended with is, do we really want to be that kind of church? Because that's not every church. Do we want to be a place where people, all kinds of people, can safely explore what it means to have eternal life and be part of God's kingdom? 
And when you think about that question, if you engage with me in the question, then what church people tend to do is we say, yeah, I want to do that. The, the first thing we would say is, okay, so what do we do first? Do we form a committee, like a bump into Jesus committee? Is that what we should do, you know, form this committee? And then we could put a whole bunch of people on the committee and they could tell us how to do that. How about we build a building? Would that be good? Or let's build 14 campuses. We, how about we start a ministry to provide for like hungry people without any clothes or, you know, Gamecock fans, whatever it is that we feel are the needy people in our community. You know, what would that look like for us? And I, I guess I would say that's, I think that's the wrong question to ask for church people. Listen, there, Christianity isn't five steps to a healthy life. That's not what this is. This isn't something like the members go drink secret Kool-Aid and we get spiritual all of a sudden. That's not what happens. There's no secret handshake here. That's not how this all takes place. That's not how we become part of the eternal life and part of God's kingdom now. You can't buy this. In, in the scripture, there's this story by the name, a guy by the name of Simon, and, and he's called Simon the Sorcerer or Simon the Magician sometimes. It's in the book of Acts. I don't really get what he did. Think of Harry Potter cast, and you probably got him something close to who he is. And so Simon the Sorcerer, he sees Peter and the apostles doing these miraculous things. And he can't figure it out because he makes his money off of his magic tricks and such. And so he says to Simon, says, wow, you guys got a really good show. I would like to be part of that. And so he says to Peter, how much? How much to buy that trick that you just did right there? How, how, how much would it cost me to do those things? And Peter, he opens a holy can on this dude. I mean, in scripture, you're gonna have to read it for yourself. It's in Acts 8. But Peter answered this when he, when he was asked that. He said, may your money perish with you. Go forth and live in peace. I mean, so the cotton candy Christianity is gone. He's like, may you die with your money because you thought you could buy what God can give. See, this eternal life and this whole God's kingdom thing, is, it's not something that's easy and it's not something we buy and there's no shortcut to it. So you say, Tom, I'm not engaged at this level. I don't get, listen, there's no shortcut to spiritual growth. You can't take two, two pills on the previous night and call in the morning and be spiritual. I, I think we sort of want spiritual growth to be microwaved. We want spiritual growth for ourselves. And we won't be able to say something or do something to change other people. Ready? There's no shortcut. There isn't. If there was an easier way, I certainly would have found it by now. There isn't. And I think the church has sort of gone off the rails here. Just allow me a moment to rant. I think well-meaning believers have sort of led us down a destructive path where we act like we're in charge of somebody else's heart. And we put pressure on ourselves. Man, if we could say the right thing, and if it's not going to, if you're not going to engage with you, let me say it for myself and then I'll engage with you. As what I do for a living, if I don't have the right sense of it, it becomes pressure because I feel responsible to kind of help. Are, are you, am I okay? You with me? I, I kind of feel responsible. Like if I don't do right, then everybody's going to be toast. You know, what, what's going to happen here? And so I feel this pressure. And we think about that with people we love. If we could say the right thing or share the right verse, if I could get them to read a book or watch a movie or watch 42 of Tom's sermons, if I could broach the conversation, that wasn't supposed to be a joke. I'm not sure where the laughter came from. <laughs> dad's here. But anyway, if I could broach the conversation just one more time, this maybe they'll fall in love with Jesus. And so let me say something that I'll make personal because it's offensive. And then I'm going to tell you about it to offend you. Here's the personal. 
I am nobody's Holy Spirit. I'm not. I'm not supposed to carry. It's above my pay grade to be anybody's Holy Spirit. And now that I've owned it, allow me to make it more specific. You're nobody's Holy Spirit, people. You're not. You're not. You're, you're, not, you're not in charge of anybody's heart. You are not. Your spouse, your children, your neighbor, your parents, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your siblings, your roommate, you're not in charge of that. We are expecting ourselves to do what only God can do. And it's destructive. So here's the question I think we have to go after today. If we're nobody's Holy Spirit, we'll come back to that, what is our role as individuals and as a community, as a church, to see the likelihood of people changing actually happening? Let me put it in Tom words. If we're nobody's Holy Spirit, what is our role to see you and you and you and you and you and you engage in kingdom of God stuff and live the eternal life now? What's our role? Jesus tells this story, and it has to do with farming, which means I'm already out of my league. But uh, I'll pretend like I'm not. But anyway, it has to do with farming. The reason he said farming is because it was what everybody did that was listening to him that day. And so he tells this story about farming, but here's the, here's the front end. It has nothing to do with farming. So, so just listen to see if you can figure out what he's talking about. It has deeper meaning. This is from Mark chapter 4. Jesus is speaking, and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Now, if you believe what I've said so far, we should all sort of perk up because we believe we're part of the kingdom of God now. A person scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. Pause. The man puts the seed in the ground. And then watch what he does next. He takes a nap. He checks Facebook and watches SportsCenter. That's what the dude does. He puts the seed in the ground and that's it. He has no idea what's happening to the seed in the ground. He's just put it in the the ground and now he's taking himself a nap. Watch this. Jesus continues. All by itself, the soil produces grain first the stock grain. First the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Question, what produces the grain? Come on, don't be afraid. The soil produces the grain. I thought I was in charge. No, you're not. You're not in charge of squat. <laughs> it's a theological Hebrew thing. Squatteth. <laughs> you're not in charge of any of that. You're not stop it. (laughs) You're not in charge. The soil, not the farmer. It's the soil that produces the grain. In other versions of the story, I'll be honest with you, the farmer waters it and pulls some weeds, but in no place does the farmer have anything to do with what is actually happening in the seed. Now, let me be honest with what I think we like to do. We like to sow seed but then we like to go check on it, fair? <laughs> we like to go poke it, maybe pull it out. Oh, look at that. You know, put it back in. Maybe we should have buried that a little deeper, you know. Listen to 43 of Tom's sermon. You know, that's kind of how what we like to do with that seed. And when we do that, we, we, we kill it. That's why so many people say, I love Jesus. I just don't like his church. 
<laughs> we got a lot of seed managers. And the seed got abused. And in the story, Jesus is sharing this incredible principle that is so difficult for us to listen to in our current culture. And it's this. Growth takes time. The seed takes time to grow. Spiritual growth takes time. Now make no mistake, in this story, the seed represents the word of God. That's what the seed is. You can read it for yourself. It's what the The seed represents the word of God. Do you know what we are in the story? Dirt. You're the dirt. I know some of us are thinking, oh, I could be the sower. Yeah, but first you're the dirt. So turn to your neighbor. You dirt. Go ahead. Give them the you dirt. You dirt. Tell your neighbor. Say you dirt. Go ahead. Everybody, you dirt. Give it to them with feeling. You dirt. (laughs) So many giggles when we tell each other we're dirt. That's who we are. And this seed gets planted in us. Now, here's what the scripture says. It says sometimes the dirt is calloused or hardened. And I don't, I don't want to judge you on that if that's kind of where you are. Um, I think sometimes life is hard and it hurts. And sometimes we have to sort of get calloused to survive. And that's okay. I, I just would recommend you don't stay there. So the seed can actually find a place to take root. Anything that happens to this seed is actually between the seed and the dirt and the one that makes things grow which isn't the farmer Paul said it this way I plant Apollos watered another dude and God makes it grow any confusion I plant Apollos water we do that in our lives But God makes the seed grow. So neither he who plants, check this out, nor the person who waters is anything. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're nothing. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That's going to be too much. Everybody's waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Doesn't that sort of lift some pressure from you? So you meet Tom. God says, I'm not in charge of what's going on in my son, my daughter, my spouse. That's exactly what God said. Stop trying to control everything. Smell incense or something. Whatever it takes to calm down. You know, you're going to be okay. Just don't, don't try to be in control. You're not in charge. So what does that mean for a life, our church, while we're here? Well, you all know already I'm not very bright, but I sort of think we link arms with Jesus and then we plant seeds. And we plant them like crazy We make it rain seeds up in here. You know, there's seed, here's seed, everywhere a seed seed. I think that's what we do. It's complicated, I know. (laughs) That's what we do. We plant seeds all over the tarnation. We we plant seeds. That's what we do. We plant seeds. Listen, you're not the Holy Spirit to your spouse or your kids or your church or your office or to your small group. You're not the one God looked at resumes and said, oh, the Holy Spirit's so tired. Let's get them some help. How about you, Tom? Would you help the Holy Spirit? That never happened. The world doesn't need your judgment and self-righteousness. So respectfully, how about we knock it off? And let's plant seeds. Because when we do it and we start being self-righteous and we start saying, you know, be like me, do this, fix that, do that. We're hurting God's kingdom. We're forming whole churches on this. 
Our role in the kingdom is to point people to Jesus in Scripture and trust God with the time and space to do what only God can do. That's what our role is. When I walk through my life and you walk through your life, this is what we do. (laughs) Point people to the Jesus of Scripture and trust God to do with time and space to do what only God can do. Because I can't make it grow and respectfully, neither can you. And so every week you come here, and you bring your kids and you check them in to the prison or whatever it is that we got going on. Or we do the students, youth ministry, or you come into these services, you know. Every time that happens, Elijah's going to teach the Word of God. That's my word to you. And this is what you'll find. You're going to find that a live teaching the word of God is really hard. If you think this is a piece of cake, you haven't read it right. It's the most difficult thing you will ever engage in in your life. And I don't even know your life Because this is going to say things that are contrary to culture and contrary to political correctness. It's going to tell you what to do with your money. Get that. Who tells you what to do with your money? The Bible. It's going to tell you how to raise your kids. Who who can do that without getting beat up on Facebook? (laughs) The Bible. It's going to tell you how you're supposed to relate to your spouse even when you're in a mood. Oh, that one's quiet. Yeah, that one's really quiet. Yeah, it does. It mentions it. It does. It's going to tell you what to do when somebody has ticked you off and, and they have wronged you and you're right and they're wrong. It's going to tell you what to do. And it's going to be incredibly hard. And that's why around this church, if you're just visiting, you need to know something about this church before you engage any further. If you cut this church open, one of the first values it will be is what we call biblical authority. And this is what we mean by that. The Bible's God's word. It'll show us the right way to live if we're willing to put ourselves under its authority, and then adjust our lives to what God says is right, true, and best. Sometimes for me, I, I use the Bible as God's voice in my life, and I'll sh- it'll show us the right way to live, because I don't know the right way to live. I don't know the right way to live. If we are willing to put ourselves under its authority, it's hard. Thankfully, the Bible also invented grace, <laughs> and it helps me when I screw up on the daily <laughs> How in the world is reading a book that's 2,000, 4,000, 6,000, depending on what you believe, how, how reading a book that old change anybody? Jesus actually answered this question, and he did it at a time that was really this awkward moment in Jesus' ministry. I'm really not sure what was going on, but here's how it went. Jesus is teaching to a crowd, and he says, um, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And, and he was talking to a Jewish crowd. So when he f- said that first part, they all remembered their ancestors wandering around in the wilderness and they were hungry and they couldn't put down crops because they were constantly in movement. And so um, God had manna fall. Manna is a Hebrew word that means, what is that? Or, the, you know, some, that's what it means really. But anyway, this manna fell and they called it bread from heaven. And so the Jewish crowd would have heard, oh, he's, Jesus is saying when that manna fell, that was him. And then you remember there's a woman at the well, and she has like five husbands. She's living with her sixth or something like that. And she comes in the middle of the day to the well where Jesus is. And the reason she comes in the middle of the day is because she's trying to avoid all the seed pokers. 
She's trying to avoid all the people that said, oh, you should listen to 45 now of Tom. You know, you should do this and you should look and smell like me and put a fish on your car and drive a hybrid. And then maybe one day you'll be beautiful like me. He's, she's trying to avoid all those people. And Jesus is there and he says, hey, you give me, a, you know, I can give you water where you'll never thirst again. The crowd didn't like what Jesus was saying. He said, man, that sounds kind of cocky, maybe a little arrogant. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Get this. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now listen, as weird as that sounds to us, it sounded that weird to them too. Dang, I didn't even bring my fork today. I don't know what I'm... Is this dude, what, what is he saying, this dude up there? Is he saying we got to like get a pot boiling here? You know, what, 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 what is he trying to teach? And everybody was confused. And what happened is the crowd left, all of them. There's only 12 people that hung around. It was his disciples. So like the whole room leaves except for maybe like this whole first couple of rows here. Everybody else goes. Jesus said, the spirit gives life. Get this. The flesh, it doesn't count for anything. And the words, listen, I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. How does a book 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years old do anything for us? Well, Jesus said, the words that I have spoken are spirit and they are life. Eternal life is knowing God. It's more than what you and I can do. We need something outside of us. We need, if you'll allow me, something above us that has authority, that the Spirit gives life to. And when the Spirit grows the seed, the harvest is a life to the full, eternal life. So once the crowd leaves, Jesus turns to the 12 that are still seated and I think maybe this is projecting because I, 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 I do my speaking is kind of what I do too. And I know there are moments when I lose everybody and, um, and that's kind of the nature of the beast. So I think Jesus is a little bit, well, I might've, I might've blew that sermon or I don't, I don't know. Maybe that God doesn't do that. But anyway, I felt he a little discouraged and he turns to the disciples and he basically, he says, so you guys out too, you want to bail now? And the disciples screw it up a lot, but this time they knock it out of the park. Simon Peter says, Lord, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. Look at this. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. So, I don't totally get what you're talking about there, about the you know, salt and pepper and Jesus and, and eating you. I don't get that. But one day in an upper room, we will. I don't totally understand everything you're talking about, Jesus. I really don't. But you're the only one that I have found that gives me words of eternal life. Where else would we go? Peter says, we know We've taken in your word. We have eternal life and we're part of your kingdom. 
And in that process, we're being changed. The seed is changing. Listen. Don't misunderstand the Bible as just another book. I'll prove this to you. His Word changes us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said this. He said, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You've probably heard that before. Let's try this. This is happening right now. This is going on right now, not just here, but around the world. How? When we teach Jesus faithfully and accurately, something miraculous and supernatural happens. One of the things I'll hear all the time in the lobby or in an email or whatever is, a man, Tom, is like you followed me around this week, which is creepy for one, but um, two, isn't possible. Or I'll say, man, I felt like you were speaking directly to me this week. And we all know that I'm not that bright, and I can't do that. I mean, I have no idea what that's even about as far as... So, so let, me, let, me, let me do this. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a worship service, maybe one here, maybe, maybe this one, maybe one from your upbringing, or may, and you heard a song, or you heard a, a message, or you had someone say a prayer, and you felt like God spoke directly to you about a situation you carried? If you've ever done that, if that's ever happened to you, would you just raise your hand good and high so we can see everybody? Leave them up there so everybody can look around. Look around. How does that happen? How does that happen if that's not true? Explain it to me. If that isn't true. So what do we need to fix or change broken people? You ready? Nothing. How's that for a pastor's heart? (laughs) This is what we do. We plant seeds. Here a seed, there a seed, everywhere a seed seed. We plant seeds. What's the seed? It's, it's the Word of God. What's the Word of God, just so we're clear? The Word of God is the Jesus we find in Scripture. Why are we doing that? Because Jesus gives life. He does. And you all just proved it. And to point to anything other than the Word of God in this culture, in this day and age, for a church to center itself around anything other than those words of Jesus is the most hateful thing a church can do. Even when it's uncomfortable for me and you. And we can't do that. So as a church, we take what's growing in us and we put it out there like a farmer planting seeds. And we create this safe place for God to do what only He can do with that seed in the person's heart. So I got this illustration I want to do, but it's going to require me making some of you incredibly uncomfortable because I need you to come on the platform with me. Everybody look at your shoes now so Tom does not call on you. Philip, come on up, buddy. Philip Boyer, I'll have you come up with me if you would. Dan, you mind coming up with me? Ben, would you come? Good, this is going great. Amy, come on up. Yep. Andrew, come here, boy. Come on, come on. I saw you looking at your shoes. Come up, come up. Okay, thank you, brother. I want you all to stand right here. Good, good. How are we doing? Hannah, come on up, dear. Come on up. This is going to be great. Thank you all so much. Very good, very good. Awesome. Would you come up? 
Yeah, I know. She snarled at me. There's a literal snarl right there. This is awesome. Come on up. This is going to be great. Are you excited? Yeah. Hope you've been here before. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Come right here, front. This is beautiful. Yes. Thank you so much. Come on. Yes. So here's what a church does. This is what we do. We take the seed and we give it to people. Let's just stand right here on that little red tag. See that? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Try to value the seed. There you go. Good, thanks. <laughs> and that's what we do. Young, old, teens, children, this is what we do. We, we plant seeds. But here's what we know. That's a nasty world out there. And that nasty world will come along. Don't let me have it. And it will do that. Is it true? Okay, okay. A little bit, a little bit nicer. <laughs> isn't that true? Come on, isn't that your experience? Give me some hands. Come on, isn't that true? It gets snatched away. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to be the we're going to be the church. So you guys, let's surround. Come on, all around. Come on up around here, Hannah. Everybody, get around. Come on, Ben. Andrew, good, good, good. Now here's the thing. I don't want you guys to turn and face outward and link arms. That is what the church is supposed to be. Do you want to be part of a church like that? Because that's what a life is. We take people that are just people that have seeds sown in them, all kinds of beautiful people, and we form a circle. My brother Andrew here was just baptized a couple weeks ago, huh? Yeah, yeah right? We already put him to work. And Amy, Amy back here, she also was just baptized. Yeah, yeah. And, that, uh, and my, my brother Dan, he was baptized. It didn't take. We're going to get him again one day. <laughs> and that's the church. That's the church. So when you come and you're part of this, and you're engaging, and you're wondering, and say, man, what are we doing? That's it. And that seed that's in here, that seed will grow. <laughs> she raised it up. <laughs> that seed will grow, and it will change. And her eternal life and the kingdom of God will start in her as well. Thank you all so much. Give them all a little love, will you? <clears throat> So that's what we're doing, and that's what I mean when I talk about missional living. It's what I do when I say we are engaging in missional living and we're being strategic about it. That's why we're doing what we're doing. We're creating this safe place for seeds to grow. And when they come here, there won't be any question about truth, even when truth is hard. When people come, we're going to grow those seeds. And as a result, we'll all start living the kingdom of God now, and our eternal life begins now. And that's going to happen on a grand scale alive, across the life community. And so if you want to be part of that, and you don't believe yet, don't you need a little bit of that in your life? You're still trying to do it on your own, really? Because I tried it, and I couldn't. And what I'm trying to tell you is you don't have to do it on your own. You can do it in the church. And that's the kind of place this is. Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these great folks. Man, Lord, this is the second time I've done that great circle this morning. And 
Every time I see myself in the middle of it, overwhelmed with my brothers and sisters who are willing to do life with me, give me a safe place to grow. And Lord, all across our church right now, this is actually taking place. People watching online, people that will watch later, marriages and parent relationships, dorms, forgiveness needs to happen. It's all taking place within this context of we're going to teach God's word. This will be a safe place for us to learn to thrive and grow. And as a result, not one person will be left out. Anybody who says yes, not one person walks out and doesn't begin their eternal life now, doesn't understand they're part of God's kingdom now. So when we serve in big way or small way, we're part of God's kingdom. Thank you for allowing me to be part of such an incredible body. Thank you for allowing us to be part of a church. Where lives are being changed because the word of God is being sown. And as a result, marriages and families and finances and sexuality and addictions are all changing because God's word is being planted. The seed has been sown and people are growing. I love you, Lord. You're the best part of our lives. In your name, amen.